0: If you have been learning from the Be The Bridge podcast, our work, I want you to consider becoming a financial partner today. And the other way you can become a financial partner is by shopping our store. You can sport our apparel to uh, represent what Be The Bridge stands for. And this donation goes to a special cause. And so just a reminder, um, our vision is seeing that all are equipped to flourish through expanding our reach and continuing to spread the good news of social justice. Um, We are able to pursue this vision and fulfill our mission of empowering people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation through your generous donor support. So thank you for supporting all that Be The Bridge does. Thank you for giving to us. And just remember, we're not the only way. We're just one way to get us on the path to racial equity, racial healing, and racial reconciliation. Thank you so much for your support.
1: We want to learn a little bit more about our be the bridge podcast family. We've created a quick survey for you to fill out. Make sure to click on the show notes and you will find the survey link at the end. Be the
2: bridge, be the bridge. You are listening to the Be the Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. doing. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding.
0: But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love.
2: We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end.
0: Okay, Be The Bridge Family. It is an honor to have this next guest here. Um... She's been with me from the beginning of this journey of Be The Bridge. And some of you know her, some of you, um, this is going to be your first introduction to her. Um, But I've been on her podcast, I think about three times. This lady has always given me a platform, given me advice, and has journeyed along with me. So I... I am so honored to have my friend here with me today, and I want you to love her well as you listen, Uh, Miss Jamie Ivy of the Happy Hour Podcast. Tasha, listen, I am like, I can't believe I'm on the Be The
3: Bridge podcast right now.
0: This is so exciting. (laughs) It's crazy,
3: right? It's so exciting. I love your podcast. I listen to it, and I love you, and I love the work, and I love Be
0: The Bridge, so this is my honor. Oh, my goodness. I know. I am so grateful for you. And, you know, I... I wanted to talk to you. There's, you know, I was thinking, Jamie and I have talked about so much. I've been on her podcast, but my audience have not, we haven't had the opportunity to um, hear you. And we have a lot of the shared shared audience. You know, mm-hmm. I get a lot of people that are part of Be The Bridge that say, I heard you first on the Jamie Ivy show. Yeah, And I'm like, that. good gracious, that Jamie Ivey show is everywhere, <laughs> huh? <laughs> <laughs> now... But since when we first met in 2014, uh, when we started these circles of conversation, it wasn't called Be the Bridge then. It was just um, reconciliation circles. It was just friends in the community coming together from these different spaces to say, okay, there's some brokenness here and we don't really know what to do about it, but we want to talk about it. And... At that time, you had just started your podcast. That year, 2014. Isn't that crazy? You were just getting started. And we didn't talk about anything. You remember, we didn't talk about anything that any of us did personally. Mm -mm. And really until the end that, you know, we kind of discovered, oh, this person owns a jewelry company or this person does this. You know, some of you knew each other, but I was so new to Austin, I had never even heard of anyone in Mm -hmm. the the group, including you. <laughs> Included Jenny Allen. <laughs> Included Jenny Allen. So, um, but you've added a few books to your bio recently. So you're not just Jamie Hour, Jamie um, Ivy, the Happy Hour mm-hmm. host. You have added not just one book, not just two books. <laughs> <laughs> But three books First of all How in the world Do you have the time To do all this (laughs) Well I don't know But um, I mean Good
3: team You know You're doing all the things too Tasha Uh, But yeah Uh, Three books since we met I mean If I can just say Let me just get it out In the open right here uh we can get going That Be the bridge group That we had The racial reconciliation group That we met At the African American Heritage Center Wasn't that what it was called Uh huh Uh huh Right there On the east side Uh, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that that was a life-changing thing for me, meeting you, being a part of that experience. Like my mind was blown all the time. And I'm telling you, it has changed the trajectory of things in my life. So thank you. I've told you that privately. I'm gonna say it publicly. Thank you.
0: Wow, that's great. And you know what? Just because a lot of people in our audience, some of them have heard of you, some haven't, um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, You just told them how we met. We already kind of did that. Yeah. Um, But how did you end up in that group?
3: Yeah, Um, I I guess God just plucked me up and put me in there because I am so grateful for that. But um, I have been married for 20 years. My husband's a pastor here in Austin. Um, I had just started my podcast that year, which is so crazy. So everything I'm doing now was not happening then. There were no books, there was no office, there was no fancy microphone. It was just me in a closet talking to people. Um, But my family is diverse in that we have four children and one is biological and three joined our family through adoption. Um, And so two of my kids were born in Haiti. Um, And so they're Haitian American. And then one of my kids was a domestic adoption. So he was born here in Texas and his um, first mom, his birth mom is white and his birth dad's black. So we have this diverse family uh, that sets us apart a little bit uh, in a lot of ways. And so coming into that group, that was what I was bringing to the table was a white woman raising black and white children.
0: Wow. Yeah. And I think that was the common thread for a lot of people there yeah so yeah 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 and you
3: know it's like in 2014 I, I'm gonna mess up my years and hopefully you can edit this to make me look smarter than I am but what had had we experienced um tomorrow have we, what had we gone through in our country then that was this kind of big moment of
0: outrage. Do you remember? Can you can you think? For yeah, for we had um, Tamir Rice had happened. Yes. Not excuse me, not Tamir Rice. Um, the first one was Trayvon Martin.
3: Trayvon. Okay, so that's a good thing right there. So when we started that group, we had we had seen as a country Trayvon Martin. And um, I mean, I'm pretty open and vocal about what I've learned and where I've come. And I think that I can get some pushback for that, for having, you know, eyes closed previous to that. But I'm just by the grace of, look, we're all learning and we're all in progress. So praise God for where we are. But that was a, that was a moment for me. And I think it was a moment for a lot of white people. And I think it was really a moment for a lot of white people who might be, um, you know, raising or married to black people. And so that had happened before we joined the group. And so that was fresh. And here I was as a mama raising black children. And I was just like, I don't even know what's happening. And so that group was such a a godsend for me.
0: Yeah. And you could be honest in the group. And I think for me, even for a lot of black people, um, you know, we were raised by parents that were, you know, born in the 50s and 60s where um, there was this whole approach to um, by our society of being colorblind. So a lot of our grandparents who, you know, participated in the civil rights movement, um, because of trauma, didn't talk about a lot of things with their kids, you know, in that way. And that's my personal story. I'm not, I know that's not everyone's story. So I was the first one born with a full set of rights, where I can go to school where I wanted, where there were, um, it was illegal to redline, you know? So I'm the first one, think about that. I was the first one to be born with a full set of rights. And, you know, if you think about that, Trayvon, for me, and, you know, although I had done this work in Black spaces a lot, you know, throughout college, this was the first time me cross-pollinating into white space to say, okay, okay. I'm tired of talking to the choir. I need to talk to some other folk on the other side of this conversation because I need you involved in it. And I think Trayvon Martin was the um, the catalyst for me also to step out of the Black space conversations into this, I want to say, almost pit of white space. Um, you know, conversations. So it's so not only was that for you, um, I was even surprised at the injustice in the thought process and the lens and the perspectives of people. You know, this was a seventeen-year-old kid that had the right to take up space that was denied that right because of the color of their skin, and how people interpreted that to me. Where you saw, you know, racial biases on display, racism on display. And it was just shocking to me. And it that propelled me into um, these conversations. So we both were coming wow. in. So this was the first time that I had started engaging in these conversations face to face with white people on a larger scale. Wow! Besides the one on one, so we both were coming to this with a lot. So you I see, God, but it was it was such a a God thing. It was a God thing, and uh, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for how God has used this to. Um, bring out even the writer in you, um, you know, with all your books. And we, you, we can talk about that at the end and point people to that. Um, but I wanted to just dive in, you know, we can dive in with friends and you could tell me, uh, uh-uh, Tasha, nah, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't touching that. Um, but you started on this journey toward racial righteousness with me almost seven years ago. It's been seven years, um, you know, how do you feel like you've grown? You mentioned it a little bit before, but I want you to get a little more specific because I know this will help people. How have you grown um, since this first discussion? Because I've seen growth in you, you know, and everybody's growth is different. And this is the thing I tell people, I can work with people who are moving forward. But people who are complacent and stagnant and just, you know, they want to talk about it, but they don't want to do anything about it or they don't want to change. Um, I I don't have the patience for that. I need movers, you know? And so tell me a little bit about Jamie in 2014 and Jamie in 2021. Uh,
3: I can think that one of the most, major things that's happened in my life and yours too. We're sitting here like seven years ago. Wow. Both of our lives have changed so much in seven years. Um, but within those seven years, um, my my platform has grown. And so the places that my voice can carry has changed a lot. And so I think that what when I started on this journey of understanding more of what, um, how our country was founded and the the truths of things and what it's like to be, you know, brown and black in and, and America today and, and 10 years ago. And, and I started to kind of wrap my head around these things. I started to realize that I have this opportunity to bring people's voices um, to more people. And so I. one of the things that has really been important for me is to Think through what voices can I elevate because of the people who are listening to me, and so that's one thing professionally that has happened is I've really had to look and say like, hey, who can we who can we elevate um, with voices? Because I I think I told you this probably four or five years ago. I looked at my podcast list and I was like, wow, it's a bunch of white women in their 40s writing books, and this is not okay. And so we became more diligent with our yeses and our ask. On a personal level, um, I have grown so much in sympathy. I have grown so much in listening. I've grown so much in wanting to become a learner, not for knowledge, but I think for like understanding. Um, I told you we have black children in our home, and so that has changed the way we parent. It's changed the conversations in our house. And so, um, I think my my brain and my eyes and my heart have been opened wider than I ever imagined they could have been. And that's taken work, and i've and I've taken heed for it in some ways, you mm-hmm. know? And yeah. so I, th- I think that that is that's a lot of the ways that I've grown professionally and personally over these last seven years within this conversation.
0: Yeah, we'll um, we'll definitely talk about the heat a little bit later. Um, but how old are your your kids now? And um, what I, I what I would say is, I want you to say, I've grown in empathy. I repeat that. Say, I've grown in empathy.
3: But I don't know that I can have empathy because I don't know what it's like to be black. You don't. I'm not black.
0: Yeah, that's true. Okay, so I so I, said, I was
3: gonna say empathy. Uh-huh. But I isn't empathy when you understand like, yeah, I feel you, the same feelings.
0: Well, I think you know what? You and, can relate to the feelings of a of a black mother because you have black children. Yes. Yes. But you don't feel you may not feel it the same, but you love your kids in the same manner. So I always I always say it like you this. You do have empathy.
3: Well, that's kind of you. I was trying to choose my words really carefully because I don't yeah. want a black woman to say you don't know what it's like to be a black woman. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. I know I don't, but I, I do know what it's <laughs> like to raise black children on right. Maybe the same level. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I,
0: so- I think you you have empathy because you 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 don't have I don't have the same experience. Of um, someone who is raising children because I don't have children, but I can have empathy with you know my best friend who is navigating this young adult life, these teenager this teenage life, um, navigating a divorce that you know although it's not my story, I can have p- empathy with her, and empathy is the difference of sitting in it with someone. Sympathy is when i'm a bystander but i'm not sitting in it with you and i would well, say well i'll take your you're definition sitting then in with this yes if that's the I definition like. and I'll if anybody comes <laughs> just come for me Come for me, and I think this is a good. I think this is actually a really good conversation. Me too, Um, because this is kind of this is what we do, right? This is what we Mm -hmm. do. Y'all know I'll text you. I'll Uh you know and and say those things. And it's not to say I'm not. I'm you know I'm on this journey too, but I feel that you're sitting with us in this. You know, you're not a bystander in this, and I think sympathy that you know. When you send a sympathy card, um, you know, it's like to me, you're a bystander. You're 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 speaking into that emotion right then and you kind of move on. Mm-hmm. Empathy is you don't move on. Mm-hmm. That you're gonna do more than send a card. That yeah. you're gonna send a card, you're gonna send a text, you're gonna get on the phone, you're gonna mm-hmm. send flowers, you're gonna, you know what I'm saying, you're gonna do more. And I yeah. feel like you're doing more than just sending a card.
3: Well, thank you for that. I I I think so too, you know, with humility, um, but I also, I always want to not, yes, I also yes. want to value the experience
0: yes. of a and black I person. Yes, and I appreciate that.
3: Thank you. And so I have sympathy and empathy. <laughs> I'll go with Tasha's statement um, because I'll tell you what, and, and this is like, this is, some people can get upset about this as well, but I'm being just honest about my journey is I, it's not my children's responsibility to open my eyes up to racial injustice in our country. I can't put that on them. That's not fair. Say it again, (laughs) Jamie. That's not fair, but I also have to be honest with my situation and say that becoming a mom to black children changed the way I view things in our country. And so on one hand, it's not their job or their responsibility. On the other hand, it's our current reality is that these are my babies. And so parenting them has changed me and it has changed our family um, for the better and it has made me see and understand things that if I wasn't parenting them, I, I might not have. But also I, I like to follow up with this too. and I know that not everyone listening to your podcast is a Christian, but that is my faith. And as a Christian, I also am deeply convicted with the way that my children have affected the way I see things. And as a Christian, we think all of us are in one big family. And so when my family is hurting, i.e. my kids, it changes me. But Tasha, Tasha, you're also of the same faith as me as a Christian. When you're hurting, you're my sister. It should hurt me the same way it hurts when my children that live in my home are hurting. And so I think that's been very challenging for me is repenting of the way that it didn't hurt me before. Moving forward and encouraging my other brothers and sisters who are white like me to also hurt when our brothers and sisters who look different than us, also hurt. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, because you're, I mean, that's scripture. You are mourning with those that mourn. And yeah. and I think you are up close and personal because of your family. But, but Jamie, like there's so many people who are raising kids like you, but still continuing to ignore... These issues and ignore and play down and um, their kids' experiences. You know, um, I hear these stories every day where you know kids are in private school having to um, play slave. And who are the slaves? The little only. Four little black kids in the in the class or oh having to write about their their ethnic story when their ethnic story, um, you know, is different through adoption, and their ethnic story um, is different. You know, as in a as a African American, is not as a black American, but as an African American where if your story is through the Atlantic slave trade. So if you don't under those things as a parent that's raising children, you can, I mean, your kid could have a real major identity crisis later on, um, especially in their teen years. Um, but, and so you leaning into this conversation is, is not, the, uh, honestly, not the norm, you know, for a lot that's, of people.
3: That's sad, but and and I, I want to say this as well is, I remember there was a there was a MLK uh, parade that I was marching at, and I think you were there, and and I, and there were people who were chanting, "I am Mike Brown," "I am Trayvon Martin," and. One of my kids who was young at the time, it would have been probably six or seven years, six years ago, looked up at me and said, who is that? And I remember in that moment, I could almost cry because as a mom, I wanted to protect my son. And so I didn't want to tell him about it because I thought if I don't tell him, then he doesn't know the evils in this world. And I had this moment of, I don't know what to do. And I don't know what I did. Hopefully I told, I have no idea. But soon after that, I read an article by a young black man who was raised by white parents and he went off to college. And for the first time, his eyes were opened up to some of the injustices in our country because his parents had done that, that I wanted to do. They had shielded him. They had they had not told him. They had really, I guess in a way, hoped that their privilege as being white Americans would rub off on, would help him, you know? And I read that article and I knew from that point forward that I had to be honest with my kids because it was detrimental to them to not. Um, And so, I mean, parenting's hard. I talk to people all the time about this thing, but I'm also talking to parents about like, you got to teach your kids about sex or else the world will. And so parenting's hard. And so we have to teach our kids these things um, because A, they deserve to know, and if you're raising a black child and you're white, also, their experience in life is going to be one hundred percent different than yours, and you want your child to feel like they can tell you and that you are an advocate for them.
0: Yeah, I love that, Jamie, and I love and the fact I remember you telling me um, that story um, as as uh, as a part of your change, and I know you've been on this learning journey, you know, since then. And I, you know, what I love to tell people is not always what people do in front but it's also what they're doing behind the curtain and i love what you're also doing behind the curtain too and um i'm just so i I, i'm so happy about that and that you're having these conversations because at that time your son was probably about six but tell the ages of your children now so it's a different story now that they're like middle school high school versus elementary what what ages are your children now
3: So my oldest is our only biological, and he is 17. He'll be a senior next year. And then I have two boys who are 15 and 16, and they're going to be sophomores in high school. And then my daughter is 13, and she's going to be in eighth grade. So we do have these big kids, and those challenge. It's no longer, oh, I don't want to tell them. It's like I have to prepare them for what will happen. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's been a whole journey and it's going to make your kids really understand their identity and their place more when you have these conversations. I I learned this. I I forget. um, It was um, this this man who did college ministry and they were um, talking about there's three things when you're parenting. And I, and I tell this, being in uh, next-gen ministry for so long and doing children's ministry, I would tell my parents, you know, either you don't want to saturate because, you know, society will have you saturate your kids with the world system. So, you know, you, you don't want to saturate. You you can't isolate, though, because what we want to do is like, I don't want my kids exposed to all this. I want to protect them. I don't want them, you know. I I heard this one woman who was white, raising black kids said, I want to protect them from black people. I don't want them to become like black people. Like, though, you would not believe some of the things that people say in this. And, How wrong that is because those kids are black. And when the world looks at them, this, the world that is infused with systemic racism, we live in a racialized society. We are divided by race. Race is a social and political construct. We, God created ethnicity, but not the race. And how we interpret it here in America. Because you go to other places and it doesn't exist like that. It just has another name, you know, but some of the same issues exist. But, so we live in a racialized society. And so you can't say something like that. So you don't want to saturate, you know, you don't want to isolate. But what you have to do is you have to interpret the world that they live in and around them. And I think that's what you're doing. You're trying to interpret you know, um, the things that are happening and trying to give them language and you're trying to give them history and context so that they understand, so that they can move forward, you know, not in naivety because that could really be dangerous for them, but they don't have to live in fear because you also are grounding them in the gospel and you're not making everyone their enemy you know, but you're interpreting the world that they in which they live and giving them the tools that they need to navigate in those spaces. And I think that's even as a a Black parent, that's what you have to do. Because some of these things are beyond your control. You don't know who will stop your son if, you know, it's on a, a dark night and the lights are out and the back, you know, the um, the tail light, make yeah. sure those tail lights and make sure yep, they have yep. their um <laughs> you know the registrations. I don't sleep on that stuff. Let me tell you. Yep. I don't play with that stuff. I'm not giving anyone an excuse. But you can end up with the nicest person, or you can end up with a person that is power hungry and they misuse their power. So you know, so you just don't know. So you're preparing them for the unknowns, but you're interpreting interpreting the world around them. Um And you're not doing it in a way that's going to instill fear, but you're trying to protect them, you know. And I think there's a difference when it comes to that. So um, I know and I know you've had to have these conversations, you know, with your kids. Um, What has been the hardest thing to change about yourself?
3: I think the hardest thing and what makes me the saddest is that I still see bias come up in me. And it feels sad because it feels embarrassing. It feels like And this makes me wanna cry because it feels like Jamie, you you you're learning, you're investing you're empathetic, you're sitting, you're raising black kids. Like, how could you still have that pop into your head? And I could like beat myself up over it. But what I'm trying to do is saying, there it is, there it is, that was it. Call it out, like name it, say why it's wrong and and do better. Go the other way, like change, replace it with something else, and so I think that makes me super sad because I feel like I feel like a failure. I feel like um, don't care. Like I feel like um, not on the same team. It just it's hard. Um, but but I think the growth that I see in myself is a that it produces a response of sorrow in me, and that I want to do better. And then it also reminds me like, man, I had years of experiencing these same bias and didn't give a fly and flip about them and didn't even know they were biased, just thought it was normal life. Um, and so I think that is something that maybe a lot of white people on this journey would understand is that this feeling of, man, I'm so upset about that. And and I don't want to share the particular story, but I called you one time, uh, after an experience that I'd had and I was so unbelievably ashamed of myself and what I had done and thought, and I called you and I think you didn't answer. And I think I left you this long sobbing message. Um, and, and to me, it felt almost like I needed to apologize to you because we had been on this journey together. And so... I think that's what's hard sometimes is when those things still pop up and you go, really? Like what? And so
0: that's what's hard. Yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing that, Jamie. Um, Thank you for being honest about that. I think that's going to help a lot of people. Um, And I think as a friend that's um, in this space with you, sometimes when, like I remember that call And I wanted you to sit in that because I wanted to see what was God going to speak to you about that? Because sometimes, you know, I don't have the words to fix that. This is your journey. and Your journey is a separate journey from me. But what I knew that you were going to be okay because you confessed it. And you had lament about it. And I knew God was going to do the rest. And it's a continued work. Like I told you, this is a lifestyle. Um, This is not a marathon. You know, I mean, excuse me, this is not a sprint. It's a lifestyle, which is like a marathon, but it's longer than a marathon. You know, a (laughs) marathon is only only 26 miles. This thing is longer than that, you know? And so you're going to have these, but it's like, how do we allow God to come and fix those broken Places. This work is spiritual work. This is discipleship. This is spiritual formation that we're going through. And how does the word of God apply to what you're feeling right now in that in that bias, you know? And we see scripture from the New Testament. To the, from the Old Testament to the New Testament of people who are dealing with some similar things in different ways if we have the lens to see what God is saying, you know, about the marginalized, especially Jesus. And, you know, and, and we see this in Peter, you know what I'm saying? We see this in Paul. And so I think, um, I think it's good to lean into that space. And I think out of all of that, thank you for leaning into that and not stuffing it and pretending it doesn't exist because sometimes we can try to put on these fronts like everything is okay i'm not dealing with this and we can continue to hurt people of color when we're in spaces with them because we're not dealing with our mess and so but when we name our mess and realize you know i haven't arrived not to make an excuse but to say i am a work in progress and i think that's what we say about our 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 salvation we do you know, that with we all are other, becoming I'm new we, we are do that with other new. areas of
3: our life. Like I, if yes. I'm still struggling with, you know, thinking bad thoughts about my body, then I need to confess that and I'm going to keep moving forward. And I think one thing just to say like, kudos to what you guys are doing Be The Bridge is the reason I could call you is not because you were like this one black person that I met one day. It's because we had that safe shared space and I felt super safe saying that to you. And so those gr- entering into those spaces that are safe is where you go, I can confess this out loud, and everyone knows we're on this, you know, longer than a marathon journey lifestyle of growing together. And so that's what you guys are doing so well. And that's what you had done for that group is I knew Tasha's going to let me say this and she's going to help me and correct me and point me. But I also, I didn't feel like you were going to be shameful towards me,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah. So. And so that's that, that that's that, that really that space of courage where, you know, um, But I, on the other end of that, I knew you guys were going to have enough vulnerability and humility to receive because there's a lot of people who are showing up into these spaces, but they haven't done that work of humility in listening. And so you have to be teachable. And if you're not teachable, that is exhausting to a person of color. It's exhausting, you know? And so, um, you know... This work is about convictions, and I think we just talked about that. You know, at the end of the day, this work is about conviction. I can have conversations with people where they want to do the right thing, you know, especially pastors, they want to do the right thing for their church because of optics versus it being a true conviction for them. And that true conviction that that comes through heart transformation, and that's what the Lord does. And so we cannot do this work apart from God. And I think those that are tuned into that and doing this work, um, through the message of Jesus, I think that is the, the things that sustains us because I'm convicted about this. So it doesn't matter. So that means that winds and waves are going to come and toss. Um, people are going to change. People are going to leave you. People are going to talk down about you. But when you're convicted about something at the end of the day that keeps us pushing and committed to change, um, what is something that convicts you? And you just mentioned it a little bit Um But what is something that convicts you that keeps you going, you know, um, and pushing even when you lose followers, even when you are, um, facing challenges? What is something that keeps you rather than, I remember you saying this, you realized this, you said, I can wake up and not even in my own self, not think about this. And I think that was easier probably when your kids were younger. But now that your kids are older, that's probably a lot harder. But I remember you saying that and you said, I have to make a conscious effort to make sure that I care. But I think you've moved from caring to conviction and that's different.
3: Yeah, it is different. And and what I mean when I say that is that, For most, and and I don't want to journalize because there are are obviously might be a handful of different scenarios, but for most um, white people in America, we literally could go our entire life and these things not affect us. And so for me, obviously we've talked about my children and how that's changed my life. But for me, I have to have the conviction that because it's not going to personally affect me, now my family, my kids, yes, but if I just look at Jamie Ivey, I have to have the conviction that it matters even if I never experience it. And I think that's where a lot of people who are doing this work with you that are white like me have come to realize that it does matter, even if it doesn't Personally affect you for a lot of reasons. Number one, like I mentioned before, if you're a Christian, it does affect you. This is our family. These are people made in the image of God. Everybody is made in the image of God. Everybody has value. That should convict us. End of story. Done. Um, but then also, like, we can look at our, our, our country, and it is, it is not thriving in so many ways. And so we that should matter to us as well. Um, one of the newer things in my journey over the past couple of years has been um talking about and caring about and concern and learning about, um, asylum seekers and, and migrants at, I live in Texas at the Texas, Mexico border, what's happening. And so that's been another kind of convicting thing of like, now that doesn't affect me. I don't have, I don't have children who were born in South America or Mexico or Spain and have, you know, brown I don't have, that's not my journey, but it has become to really matter to me. And so I think, that is the conviction is like how do we make this matter to us even if it doesn't personally affect our home that we live in under our four walls Uh, because it affects our communities you know it affects our leadership it it affects our schools it affects our churches it affects everything really Um, and so bringing that conviction in has been good for me um, in lots of ways and it helps me stay in the fight and care stay in the fight and stay in the fight and stay in the fight and Care. and Care. care
1: this is so good aren't you loving this conversation we're going to take a quick break stay with us we'll be right back
0: friends life is hard and sometimes we need a little help navigating the stress of sudden changes in income health complications and or the loss of someone close can be overwhelming not to mention the stress of the tense time of political and social disharmony. Honestly, at this time, we all could use a little help. Well, guess what, there is help. There's help through betterhelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P. Betterhelp.com makes professional counseling. and makes it accessible, affordable, and convenient for anyone who may be currently struggling with life's challenges. If that's you, you can get help anytime, anywhere. Betterhelp.com offers access to licensed, trained and experienced and accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, and board licensed professional counselors. We want you to start living a happier life today as a listener. And as a Be The Bridge listener, you'll get 10% off of your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash Be The Bridge. Again, that's BetterHelp.com slash Be The Bridge. So you can join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. You guys, it's a difficult time and we need these tools and we need a little help to encourage us on the way.
1: Thanks for staying with us. Let's get back to our conversation.
0: I care about human trafficking. I, you know, I did that yeah. for ten years. You know, but when I looked at some of the um, intersections, is that the people that it was impacting even the most were those at the crossroads of vulnerabilities that make them more susceptible to human trafficking. Yep. And a lot of time that has a um, there's a race thread in that. Those that are There's the most all kinds marginalized. Of yes. yes. The those that are the, the most marginalized in our society fall victim to a lot of the injustices. And so comes from so, foster care.
3: It comes from yes, medical, um, yes, and it, you know, procedures, yes. not procedures, but insurance and yeah, government assistance all of and housing
0: and all of everything, it. Everything. It impacts everything. And so even at the border, the border crisis, we see this playing out 20 years from now on what's going to happen. And then people will get, you know, we have short-term memory in America where we get amnesia on, okay the trauma that we've caused and the mess that we've made. And then we try to act like, oh, what's wrong with you? When you we've created, you know, these systems um, of impoverishment, um, you know, all the things I think about redlining and how we're living out that legacy and still living out that legacy today of things that were done 50 to 70 years ago which is not that long ago, I am the first one, you know, my My parents or my dad was 68 when he passed. My mom is 68. Um, and, you know, they were children of the 50s. Um, I was born in the 70s. And I'm the first one to be born with a full set of rights. But then all the things, when we look at Just Mercy, that movie, all of that happened in the 90s, right. in early 2000s. Yeah, don't forget this, guys. Yeah. And that 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 sheriff was in power into 2019. And we want to think that systemic racism doesn't exist. Yeah. So, you know, so anyway, and, it's a lot.
3: Well, <laughs> and with the convictions too, Tasha, I'll tell you that um, you know what I'm saying. You understand this at a diff- even different level than me. But for me, when I talk about these things, I always get pushback. back. I yeah. always lose people. Yeah. I there was recently an article in the Washington Post about our family and I had events cancel me. I mean, you know, I mean, it's I talk about the border and people get all up in arms. I talk about Black Lives Matter and all of a sudden, you know, who are you? And so I think like if you're entering into these spaces in this work to to be prepared for the pushback was something I did not know or understand was gonna be coming my way, which I look and I'm like, oh, our, you know, civil rights movement, black people for have been dealing with this pushback forever and i'm new to this space of getting the pushback but feeling like it matters and it's it's i'll say it again and louder if i lose every booking ever again at a certain church i don't care
0: yeah you i'm i'm telling you and i love that and that's that is conviction because this is the thing i say this all the time like i love be the bridge i love this ministry that god has given gifted me with the come along and the work that God is doing. This is not my work. I hold my, be the bridge. I hold, I hold it with open hands. This is not my work. This is God's work. And that's what sustains me. But let me tell you, before I keep my mouth shut to to be comfortable and to keep um, uh, speaking engagements and to keep people comfortable, let me tell you, I'd rather it burn to the ground, to be honest, because that's when this work, when you're convicted, that this is about the kingdom of God, you know, and this is about being a credible witness for the glory of God. And that's the thing that sustains me. So, you know, waves are going to come, you know, and I'll go get a job at Sephora. Now, <laughs> you know, whether I'm in this position would Be The Bridge or not, I am still a leader I am still a bridge builder and I am still a change agent. That is who God has created me to be, whether I have this platform or not. And so that's the thing right there that drives me. Money drives people. You got to have money to operate. And I get it. Like, be the bridge. I have a staff. You know what I'm saying? So I I, I want to use wisdom. Yeah, I have to use wisdom. (laughs) Yeah, I want to use wisdom, but I'm not going to live in fear you know? And so, um, yeah, and and, and this is the thing, this is for the greater good. I care about my brothers and sisters in Christ. I care about the church, the local church. I started Be The Bridge because of the local church. And so I want to see the church whole and well. And when we get it, the world gets it. When, you know, if we understand the flourishing of image bearers, um, image bearers the world gets, so we can see how the world has followed after pop the patterns of of the church in a lot of good ways and then in a lot of unhealthy ways and we're seeing that play out right now you know even with the whole critical race theory stuff so you know, so anyway, so we're excavating and we're rebuilding as it relates to our belief systems related to racial um, brokenness. Um, but listen, I, before we get into, because I have a question that I I really want to um, you know ask you about. Um, but I want to you know sometimes we don't dream about what does racial righteousness um, to me righteousness and justice go hand in hand. You cannot have reconciliation without righteousness and justice and so um and so what does that look like um to you like if we if we were to dream you know and you and there was you know racial righteousness where justice has been done um repair has been done restoration has been done what does that look like for your sons your daughter
3: that's a hard question it's hard because it feels, it feels impossible is, I mean, to be honest, it feels almost unimaginable because I was thinking when you said it, I was like, well, I feel like we need a few generations to, to get, to, to get the bad. I mean, you know what I mean? Like even saying that sheriff was still in power till 2019, we need three generations after him. To cleanse, yes. you know what yes. I mean? Because that's what I've learned as well is like, this is generational. And so what I know is what my parents taught and said in our home and what they know is what their parents said and taught And their, you know what I'm mean? like, we're just going down, down, down the line and I hope I'm doing better and my parents did better, all the things. It's like this generational, we need a generational cleanse and it feels impossible and it feels unimaginable. And, and I know that's a really bad answer. Uh, no, that's that's.
0: I I think that's an honest answer because yeah. I think that's where for me, um, but hope comes in at some point because hope is the driver in this. Yeah, and, and I, I think, think that, about yeah those before me. They had to have hope to continue for sure. I think about Harriet sure. Tubman,
3: right? So right, and what did they see? Right. And I, and I think what I think when I think about that is like you said, this is like a personal, what happens behind closed doors matters. And I think that like, that's to encourage people and what feels impossible and what feels, you know, unimaginable is that you get to change your home. And you get to change your next generation. And so we can see a ripple effect of that. You keep saying this is discipleship and it is discipleship. And discipleship means we're changing people's lives with the gospel. And so we get to impact a generation below us. And I think that's where we do see this change is like every home is different than the home before. Every church is making decisions differently than they have in the past. Um, Every community group is saying, hey, we value things that we haven't valued before. And so- those small changes eventually would create change within communities and homes and churches. And I think we would then see a ripple effect. So um, I pull back my answer of impossible because I think things are possible, Uh, but maybe just real hard,
0: but worth it. They're real hard and they do take generations, but you take it one step at a time, one person at a time, one generation at a time, one system at a time, one policy at a time. And we can't roll back those policies, those advances that we've gained. And I think of this um, when, you know, I think about this country thought at one point they were so entangled in the Atlantic slave trade that there was no way to unravel all of that centuries of injustice and oppression and, um, dehumanization. And, but a few people, not all, not the majority thought that we could. And so I hold on to that and I hold on to my ancestors before me that hoped for a better future And so I try to imagine, I ask this question because I think it's good for us to try to imagine so that we have hope in the work that we're doing. Because to me, that also fuels our conviction and it fuels us when things get hard and when things come our way to keep going. You know, um, people were jailed and they kept going. People lost their life. But maybe relatives kept going, you know, um her- Tubman returned to the South again and again, you know, being led by God, they called her Moses, and she kept going and then defended this this um, defended participated and defended um this country's truth of liberty and justice for all through the Civil War by being a general. Like, I think about her story. That's not, when, you, when I read her story, sometimes I'm like, that's make-believe. Like, that can't be possible. That she survived and lived until 1911. My grandmother was born, my great-grandmother was born in 1910. She lived on this earth at the same time that Harriet Tubman Lived on this. My great, my great grandmother died in nineteen ninety eight. This is recent history, and so I, I'm so grateful um, for this conversation. And I remember this conversation that you and I had. Um, one of the things that wasn't in my last book, I'd done a lot of work on Native American um, boarding schools, and um, and that wasn't included in. Um, the last book that I did. And um, I would love to talk to you. I know this is something you haven't talked about publicly. And um, I wanted to be mindful, but I know it's something we've talked about, um, you know, because sometimes I, I look at you and I remember we were, and this is a funny story, we were at um, this if gathering dinner. And one of my friends had come and, you know, it's like yeah. a lot of white women and, you know, and, and my friends is like, I, you know, I travel with an entourage sometimes, you know, but it was like one of my friends came and she was like, and she looked at, uh um, uh, you and she said, what is she? <laughs> Cause my friend is, my friend is biracial. Her mother uh-huh. is, is white and her mother was adopted. So we believe there's some other things there. Um. Yeah. Um, and then her father was African American, and she was actually raised by her father. Um, and she um, she looked at you and she said, "What is she?" I was like, "What are you talking about? She she white? She's about?" Uh-uh. I said, "Oh, Jamie just came back from vacation. She's all tan, <laughs> yeah. you know. She's just all tan." But I remember telling you that. Um, you, th- you said, I think my native heritage comes out, but you hear people say that all the time. You talk to African American person, it's like, Oh, my hair is like this because, you know, they told us we have native in it. But when you do the DNA, it's like, No, that was white, you know. <laughs> so I, you hear that, and I didn't take that as serious, but we talked about that. And you talked to me about your grandfather and that that is from your your grandfather was native and he was adopted and I wanted you to um if you feel comfortable you you know how comfortable because you you were very adamant like I don't want this I'm stepping into this because you were raised a certain way. You were raised, um, as a white woman, you know, um, and you didn't really know anything about your, um, indigenous ancestry and, and heritage. And, and I want you to talk about that because you actually are registered, you know, and, and I just, I, I would be honored for you just to share whatever you feel like share. And I know this is your first time. You let me know if, you don't want to share anymore. But um, that was just something that was intriguing to me. And that has been one of my prayers for you is that God would reveal your ethnic story even more because that is something that he has given you. Like our ethnicity, our culture comes from God, you know? And, And it's expansive. Like, look at all the people and languages that... God has created. And so when that is stolen from us or when that is withheld from us, uh, there's disruption that happens to me in, um, in God's original design. And so um, it's about the reordering of things, you know, reconciliation just is about the reordering of things. And so um, I'm so glad that you have this history. So just share a little bit about that.
3: Yeah. You know, it's funny when you mentioned this before we started recording, I was like, oh gosh, I've never talked about this. And I don't think I've even ever thought about it, which now that I'm saying out loud is, is kind of embarrassing that this is part of my story. And I literally have never engaged it. I have never dug into it because set the stage. So to my grandfather, um, his mom was um, full Choctaw Indian and um, his... He never knew his dad. And so, not sure how much percentage he is. Um, but so, he grew up though in an orphanage. Uh, his mom worked there and he grew up there and then his mom left. And so, he really kind of grew up in an orphanage. And I vaguely knew that about my grandfather when I was growing up. But keep in mind, I've already told you that my journey of having my eyes open to some of the realities of. People in our country that aren't necessarily taught correctly in school—that uh, my eyes weren't open to that till the last seven years, and so I grew up with like yes, my grandfather Choctaw, but no really knowledge about it. He never really talked about it. It wasn't ever a thing. Um, he, you know, was was very successful in life and all. So I never really thought about his journey and what that was like. And in 2006, he had um, already passed away at this time. But for years, this woman that he knew said to him one time, I'd like to write your story down. And she's passed on since, you can't even, my mom bought all the final copies of this book. And so there's a book and it's called Major Choctaw. I just looked it up on Amazon and it says zero copies because it was like this independent book, but it's called Major Choctaw, The Life and Times of Frank James Self. That's my grandfather. And I read this book for the first time about five years ago. And my, my grandfather had passed 17 years ago. And it was the first time I ever knew about his journey. And what it was like for him growing up as, I mean, he, he called himself as an Indian. The, the injustice he experienced, the prejudice he experienced, the names he was called. And again, even as I say this out loud, I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I have never taken that story of my grandfather and even dug into it even more with people surrounding Me, but that was his journey, and that's what he experienced, and it was full of hardship for his entire life. His skin was very dark. Um, and so I think I am at a loss for words because I don't think I've thought about this very much, and you're challenging me in a huge way right now, Tasha. (laughs)
0: Okay,
3: and um that's what I do. I take the challenge. I know, and I take it, and I think. Wow, this matters. This is who I am. This is two people it matters. Whom, this is my mom's dad, you know? He wrote and- it
0: down. He he had someone capture his story because he wanted to leave a legacy. There's a reason why he wrote it down. And maybe it was easier for him to write it down to talk about it. And maybe it helped him even begin to process. But I want you to finish the work, you know? We
3: we can have our counseling session after, but I don't feel like I understand him in that yeah. way. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like I don't yeah. I don't I don't know I don't know that life that he lived. And so it wow. feels very removed from me. Wow. And I didn't even know it when he was alive. And so I didn't know it till I read the words.
0: Wow. So that
3: even feels a little like, wow, this is what my grandfather went through and he never talked about it.
0: You know, where was he born? In Oklahoma. Okay, in Oklahoma, um, he was Choctaw. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a a good start, um, yeah. you know. And he was registered, right? He has a mm-hmm. a card. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mom- get
3: I get Christmas I'm cards it and was calendars, your mom- and yeah. Oh, I get all the things from the Choctaw Nation. All the, I get the newsletter. I get it all. Um, so
0: you're registered, also? Yes. Okay, so you're registered. Your mom was registered.
3: Yeah, but our percentage is unknown because of my grandfather. You know what I mean? Like because he he only has one side. Okay, he, he, he lived with his mom, but there's no knowledge of the father.
0: Okay. Okay. So knowledge, no knowledge. I'm going to text you, know- when, we get,
3: when we get done with this, when I go home today, I'm going to text you a picture of my grandpa. And Okay, um, yeah,
0: please do. So and handsome,
3: handsome, but a- very, you could tell. I mean, it's very obvious yes. um, of his yeah.
0: ethnicity. So he wasn't able to really pass, but No, 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 no no. Yeah. no. yeah, and then, then his mama, you know, left him there. Um, there's a lot of story there. Wow, there's so much, Jamie. And I know this is kind of like, Unearthing a lot, even for you. But I think there's some people listening that um this may help. And then also some people listening that can help. You know, um my friend Mariah, um, she's of the Choctaw Nation, and um, she's actually um biracial, and she actually lived on the reservation for a short period of time, yeah. and so there are a lot of people out there where this is their story especially with the role that orphanages and um and boarding schools and the injustice that were that happened to our native and indigenous community community where um people were forced to give up their children um because of systemic racism where it they basically said that you could um You know, I forget the the particular saying, and I'm gonna come back and um, do this, but it was like basically, you you can't kill all. Then they use this word: you can't kill all the Indians, but you can kill the culture and language attached to their history and that's what was done to a lot of people with the boarding schools you know where mm-hmm. um, they were made to cut their hair or they weren't allowed to speak their language the same thing um, i mean in in a lot of places like Texas and California where um, our the Latinx community weren't allowed to speak their language yeah. um, but that's not a way to say oh you're going to be an in American, but that was done out of oppression and fear, um, you know, um, by Americans. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, I mean, you think about people who were from Poland, um, Mm -hmm. stop speaking their language or, you know, Italians, you know, all of that to fit into this bubble. Um, But we've left a lot of our God given identity behind, you yeah. know? So why couldn't that be earlier. a part of the story?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And you said this earlier that we see, we see the damage from generations before today. And you can look at that with indigenous people and see life today is a result of the past 50, more than that, obviously, but for the years before of what, how our country treated, um, this these, these tribes and these different nations and these people. And we see that today still playing out um, with what's happening um, on their reservations and, and the lack of, you know, the poverty level and the, and the drug of all of the things is this, it's a direct response to what has happened to them before.
0: Right. Well, thank you for just showing just a little part that you do know um Well, I don't know anything
3: about that, Tasha, and I feel
0: like- But you do know, first of all, you do know, you know your grandfather's name and you know what nation he's a part of. You're affiliated with that nation. Some people don't have that information. So you have some information that some people long to have. You have that. And so you take that and however God leaves or- time to process. um, But I just think he wrote it down. And there's so much that I wish my grandparents or my great grandparents would have had the opportunity to write down, you know, or the opportunity for me to ask the questions if I knew what I know now how many questions I would ask. And, you know, I asked my grandfather, who is still alive, a lot of questions. Um, my grandmother, who died in 2016. Um, my dad, I we talked so much. I had so many questions. I was trying to get him to write down all the sayings that my grandfather used to say. I thought I had so much more time with my father. Um, um, but it's important for us to capture these stories, you know, and a lot of times, you know, my dad didn't talk about stuff because it was just a way of life and they they, they bury it, you know? And it wasn't until this I started doing this work that my mom and dad start telling me stories. My auntie tells me stories. Um, you know, the, my grandmother talked about how she marched. I had never heard that story before, you know? And so I think there's so much there. And um, I know we're closing on time. We're out of time. I could have a whole nother session with you. There's so much and, um, but what I want to just, you know, as we close up and before we point to how people can, um, follow you and get in contact with you, I know you started a YouTube channel, um, you just released a book, um, um, last year and, and this year, um, what I would want to know, what do you wish other people knew about this conversation, And what do you think is missing from the conversation on racial brokenness that we're not having?
3: I had a conversation with someone just the other day, and um, I I alluded to that article that was about our family in the Washington Post, and in that, and then, and then the um, time that we were on Emmanuel Acho's show last year. And on that show, I had said that I am afraid for my children every day. And that friend sat across from the table and she said, are you really? Like, is that true? And um, and I said, it's really true. And so I think that I wish people knew the pain and the emotions that people walk through with every day that you might not see on the outside Um, and that they're real and that they matter. And I think that as humans, when we can see people's, when we can hear people's stories and hear their pain, a lot of the noise and the chatter that's in the world goes away when you see someone for who they are. And so I think I wish that people would enter into spaces and conversations with people and trust that their feelings are real.
0: Wow, thank you, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's real. I, I saw a picture of your boys. I think you guys had just taken a picture not too long ago, and I saw um, your middle son, the one from Hey, what's his name again? I don't forget. I know story. Amos. Am- yeah, Amos. And I don't even know if you wanted me to say that. Oh, we could end. it It's okay. It out. I uh, talk about my kids. Um, Amos. Um, and I saw. I was like, "Wow, he's turning into a young man," you know. And and I know with that, you know, is how the perspective, that the lens that people look at him through. Um, he's still your baby boy, you know. Um, he has a big, beautiful smile, uh, fun-loving, but sometimes people don't know all those things or see all those things. All they see. Is black, and they attach so many other things to him that he's not even aware of. I, I, I thought about that so much with my brother when I talk about my brother being six four, and um, you know, but he's a big teddy bear. I always say that because it's like I always have to give a disclaimer f- for his presence. And why should I have to give a disclaimer for his presence, you know? And so I I saw that and I was like, they're growing up. And it's like you're in a whole nother, a different season of parenting. Um, And that is scary. And my friends live with those thoughts every day and they learn to adapt, adjust. But there's a fear there, you know. My friends are sending their kids off to college now. And, um, the talks and the concerns and you can't do everything that everybody else does. You know, you're athlete, you know, like all these different things, um, that's going through their minds. That is real. And I do wish that people understood that, um, you know, what hope, um, do you have for racial healing?
3: Well, based on what I said earlier, you would think none, <laughs> but here's the hope I have is that I, I have seen change in myself. I have seen change in generation above me. And if I can see change in myself, then there is changes available. Like it is, it is possible and it is, it is there and it's for the taking and, People are willing to do the hard work because it's not easy to change. It's not easy to change anything in your life. And it's especially not easy to undo things that you didn't even know you had been taught. (laughs) Like you didn't even know uh, that you had been taught things that aren't true and right and kind and and God-honoring. And so I think the hope is we see glimpses of change. And although this work is hard and you see it on the daily Um, you have probably have so many stories of change. And if there were so many stories of change, then there's hope for everyone to also change as well.
0: Mm -hmm. So good. It's all about transformation, all about change and leaning into this. Now, Jamie, how... um, can what are you working on now? Like you're always working on something. I'm telling you, I'm like, sometimes when things get hard, I think about I'm like, you know what? Jamie got four kids, she got a podcast, <laughs> she she's a, a wife, a mother, she writing all these books. You can do it, Tasha, you can do it. <laughs> you know, that's me motivating that nine in me sometimes oh, yes. that you know Yeah. I, th- that eight wing helps me out, but, you know, sometimes that nine is like, oh, I just need I need to think. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Um, well, I've, I
3: have a children's book coming out in October. And so that's our that's that's the newest thing that's happening. Um, God Made You to Be You, and it comes out in October. I'm super proud of it and excited about it. It's a board book for ages two to six. Um, but that's, that's the biggest thing that we're working on right now. And then eventually, I'm going to start writing again. I'm trying to figure out what that's going to look like and what that's going to be about. But I'm on that journey as well. And so, yeah, and I...
0: And you just wrote a book with your husband also, right?
3: My husband Aaron and I released a book in the spring called Compliment... Um, The Surprising Beauty of Choosing Togetherness Over Separate in Marriage. So it's a marriage book, which I said I would never write, and we did. Um, Yeah, and then I had a book come out last fall called You Be You. And it's just about uh, really, really being the person that God created you to be and not trying to be other people. Be you, because God made you to be just how you are. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. And let me tell you, you've inspired me in so many ways. Like, you are so... um Unconventional, And I love that about you. Oh, I, thanks. That's one of the things that I've loved. Like, you know, I love your tattoo sleeve, you know, and just <laughs> you're spicy. And the other thing, there's something that's always stood out, how your husband does all the cooking. Like he's uh-huh. a chef, like, you know oh, yeah. what I'm saying? And he loves to cook. And that's his thing. That's his lane. Yep. And you let him have it. And he's okay with it. He's confident about it. And then how you tell me, you know, but the outside is mine. Like I like to cut the grass. I sit that's on that exactly tractor right. and I can. And I know where you live and that's a lot. <laughs> that ain't grass. That's like that's a I don't know what that is. That's a field. It's a and field. And so yeah. you're you're cutting that field. We're in Texas. And I know where you are. And I mean, there's like scorpions and snakes. Yep. You know, you know me going to bugs and all that stuff. <laughs> and you talking about how you just chilling on the tractor yep. and just cutting that. And I was like, but I love that. And I think yeah. how you approach life, um, you bring that into this space and this work. Um just being courageous and, um, and, And brave in this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're in, we're all growing. You know, you're on that journey. You're not going to arrive. You know, you're trying to say, because I know how it is like, okay, because you have a lot of different friends. You have other friends. You have other black friends besides me, you know. uh And so sometimes, and we're not a monolithic group. So we all feel different ways sometimes about different things. So one person tells you this, another person tells you that. And I know how that goes. So you're like, okay, I'm trying to do this dance. I don't know, okay, do I say this? This person said they don't say, you know, like, and so the thing is to do the best that you can and you can say, well, I I, I was told this and yeah. um, by one person and, you know, I'm learning. And so you got to filter these things out and allow, Can I, can you know, I say something about
3: that, Tasha? Yes. Because uh-huh. like, we had the whole conversation earlier about sympathy and empathy. And, you know, like yeah. that's an example right. of like me wanting exactly. to be careful. But I'll be honest with you. I don't know if you noticed this when we were talking about my grandfather. I don't have a grasp on language with And so I am even stumbling into Native American, Indian, like I, so I'm telling you, you have challenged me so much in things that I don't know, um, and, and it's my family, so I want to know. And so thank you for that challenge so much. Um,
0: yeah, because so, your but, grandfather but I, I, I probably uses the word Indian. Like yes, the whole um, your book grandfather, is- the whole book is saying that. And I know like- And he and said he, that his whole a generation. life Yeah, it's a generational yep. thing. And like, even, even if you go to some of the websites of the nations, um, mm-hmm. sometimes the language is in there. Like um, a friend of mine, where they're not like a- Considered a registered trial It's a whole history I mean when you get Into this stuff I'm still learning And I may mess up And so I'm sorry If I mess up in this yeah. And that is There's a you, We need people To help lead us And this this is not my story But I like to use My platform To elevate other stories yeah. And so um, My family grew up In um, Robinson County Which is um, Home of uh, Of a lot of um, Native communities And one which is The um, The Lumbee Native Natives and and so I grew up. I went to school, you know, with all of these um, people and and you mm-hmm. know and some good friends are native and so are Lumbee. and they they I always grew up there was Lumby Indian um, right. and that's what my family calls it. But now I'm like Lumby native. But when I go and read stuff, it says it, you know so all yes. these things. But it's what broken systems do, right? Broken systems create broken language. Yeah. And <clears throat> language that dismisses and dishonors, but we take on that a lot, mm. you know. My grandfather's birth certificate said Negro. Mm. My father's birth certificate, no, excuse me. My grandfather's birth certificate said colored. Mm-hmm. My father's mm-hmm. birth certificate said Negro. Mm. My birth certificate says black. mm mm-hmm. This next generation, their birth certificate says African-American. Mm. So systems can be corrected, mm. but we are living within a broken system. And, you you know, you see that. And when you read speeches, MLK speeches, he uses the word, you know, we use those words and those terms that are not politically and socially accepted now. Yeah. So we're on a learning journey. So I challenge you um, to, to learn the language um, And I'm still learning. I mean, these... Titles, all these things like, you know, in one of our generations, you know, some kids don't like to be called black. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm fine with it. You mm-hmm. know, they prefer African-American. I even had my my um, goddaughter tell me, well, I mean, we are a color, so why is color bad? I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. baby, oh, baby. Um, you just don't know, <laughs> you know. And so <laughs> th- now she understands, but, you know, they're, they're learning because some things have a negative um, Yeah a meaning to them and so anyway she said because i'm not black i'm brown you know Mm -hmm. and so it it just the the racial hierarchy it makes no sense but we're trying to make sense out of something that makes no sense and so um thank you so much um how can our audience listen to you and find you well, wherever you're listening to this podcast, just go. Also, search for the Happy
3: Hour, and yeah. you'll find me. And if you want, search for the Happy Hour and Latasha Morrison. And like you said, you've been on a couple of times. You can start with our episodes, which I love them. Um, and then my favorite platform is Instagram, so I'm over there at Jamie Ivy. And then JamieIvy.com is where everything is. Uh, but our newest venture is the Jamie Ivy Show, which is a video format, and it's on YouTube. So check it out.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you for your friendship and you, um, just love you. And I look forward to hearing more about um, the story because I know you, I know I know you. So we got to have a part two to this because yes. we couldn't get everything in. Uh, we'll have to have a part two. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much, audience, for um, just my Be The Bridge friends for listening. And uh, we look forward to having more in- conversations and really leading into some of those difficult conversations.
1: Go to the donors table if you'd like to hear the unedited version of this podcast.
2: Thanks for listening to the Be the Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be the Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lawrence C. Brown is the senior producer.
1: And transcribed by Sarah Conitzer.
2: Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.